Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast where you get to follow along with a client in real therapy sessions. And you'll hear two licensed psychotherapists. That's us. Breaking it down afterwards, so you get a look behind the curtain. In this episode, you'll meet us as we introduce ourselves and talk about what therapy is and why people might come to therapy. You'll also get to hear Andrew and his first session with Doug. In the breakdown afterwards, we'll talk about first clinical impressions and laying the groundwork for the process of therapy and how we approach it. Yay. (laughs) Stick around. Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown. I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And we are your hosts. So let's tell people what we're doing and why we're doing this. And who we are and hopes and dreams in life. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. So why are we doing this, Doug? (laughs) Well, I, I really wanted to reach more people than what we're doing in our office one on one. I wanted to get the word out also of what therapy really can be. Not necessarily what it is, because the way we do therapy isn't the way everybody does therapy. But I was hearing a lot of people having bad experiences with therapy and not knowing necessarily what it was about. And I think a lot of people thought therapy is just for when you're crazy or when something's wrong. And that's not the only reason you go to therapy at all. So I really wanted to, you know, demystify and destigmatize what it is to be in therapy and go through it. And I think for me, I've had similar experiences. I have a lot of people that come into my office and sit on my couch. And after the end of the first session, they say, holy shit, I had no idea that therapy could be like this. You didn't ask me, how does this make you feel? even once, (laughs) and that it can be conversational or it can actually even be fun or- And funny. And funny, for sure funny, and gritty and all everything in between. And again, like Doug said, there are a lot of different styles of therapy. Ours is not the right one and we don't work exactly the same. Yeah. It's also about finding the right fit. Somebody that's going to help them with what they're going through and somebody that I think they want to talk to. The people that dread going to therapy- or right. don't go back after yeah. a bad experience. Yeah, I don't like that. No, I love when I hear my clients say, like, I'm so excited to come tomorrow or I love coming to therapy or something like that. I'm wow. shocked. And yet, <laughs> and yet right. I like it. Well, and I think people will get this vibe from us that we use conversational style, relational style and humor in, in what we do. I think that's a big part of healing. If you don't have those things, you know, you're going to miss something. And it's funny because I, I think there's also an idea that people see therapists as very composed and, you know, clinical. They don't realize that they can be just like you. We can dress like you, sound like you, talk like you, have tattoos and pierces and jewelry and eat foods and not eat foods, whatever just like you, maybe not you, maybe you. I don't cover up my tattoos in session. I don't, I'm just me no matter what. Which I love because that's, I mean, (laughs) I love you. So you being you is awesome, but it's also modeling for clients. Like, yeah, this is who I am. A lot of what I think this is about is finding your integrity and your authenticity and helping you actualize that in your day-to-day life. 
because there's so much crap that gets piled on top of that that we lose sight of that. And I I think you guys will also hear during Doug's session that he and myself as well are very transparent and disclose a lot during sessions, meaning we talk about ourselves as it can relate and help clients. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because in school, they warn you about disclosure. Mm -hmm. Don't disclose. Like, Don't say anything about yourself. And then later, as you're getting supervised and gaining your hours, they're like, well, no, you, you can, but know when you're doing it that it's serving the client, not you, because it can't become your therapy. You're not there to work your stuff out. I find that it's it's sort of that salad bar approach using uh, a technique known as narrative therapy, where you make it external for the client so they can see something outside of their own experience and look at it from the third person mentality and see it differently. Right. And if you make it you, they're invested in that, right? And it has the benefit of also being absolutely real and true and something very relatable. A lot of our style is, as I said, relational. It's about the relationship that you have in the room with somebody and that trust that you have in the room. Yeah. But it, it's it's something that I think drew each of us to this work based on some of our experience. And we go way back. We met each other in middle school and you know, then didn't know each other for a time, reconnected in our 20s. When we weren't so awkward looking. <laughs> no, you, you got hot. <laughs> Thanks. So did you. Oh, but really, I, re- I remember... <laughs> And I told you this, I remember it was in our twenties at, uh, one of them Hollywood bars, one of them. Right. And you were wearing, I told you, you were wearing this white shirt oh, with, yeah. with a, I think it was a pink heart on it. Well, that's embarrassing. Um, and one of my buddies who also went to our school was like, that girl's hot. I'm like that's Meredith Levy. She went to school with us. And, uh, it, it was just a complete switch because we had grown up. Yeah. It was like from being 12 or 13 years totally. old to now we're in our twenties. No more braces. No more braces. No, no awkward. No, we were still awkward. Still awkward. Totally awkward. We'll always yeah. be weird. That's right. Then we reconnected again in our thirties, kind of just starting out doing this kind of work, I guess. Right. Yeah. We were both therapists and we worked together in the inner city in a nonprofit community mental health. Yeah. Exactly. Although the program we were in was uh, a crisis program. So it was for teens and families that were really struggling with severe emotional and mental problems. And we would go into their houses and do home visits with them and see them several times a week. So it was pretty intensive and it was a great place to really learn and get started in this business, in this world. Yeah, really was. Yeah. I'm grateful for that experience. I'm also grateful to be done with that experience because it was, it was brutal. It was really tough. I mean, people don't know what it takes to be a therapist. It takes a lot out of you and and it really does take a lot of work. Yeah. In terms of our trajectories and how we both ended up at this place, we started elementary school together and eventually I failed out of junior college and got in a lot of trouble, went to jail and then eventually got my shit together, graduated from undergrad, went to law school, got my MBA and then my master's in clinical psychology practiced law for a few years, decided it wasn't for me, became a therapist. Yay. There's hope for everyone. (laughs) There is. And you what? Dropped out of school, like college, like three times? Yeah. Yeah. I was always here in LA, went to UCLA, loved it, but really wanted to go to music school or be a musician and dropped out to work in the music business, which I did for almost a decade. And it was fantastic experience, but wasn't really what I wanted to do. It wasn't like fulfilling. It wasn't my thing. So I went back to school, finished up 
and then went to grad school. And the route to become a therapist, I mean, it's grad school for only two years, but then you have to do experience hours for a few years. And that's when you really start getting into the the nitty and the gritty. And BT Dubs, Doug, is an amazing <laughs> musician. As in case you didn't know, the music that you hear is made, played by him. Yeah, yeah. So after I left the inner city, kind of trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And I know that with my upbringing and my own life and friends and family, I decided, you know, I was really drawn to addiction. So I worked a lot in addiction. I specialized in something called dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And I think Doug and I both use a lot of that in our work. I know, I think both of us are actually quite eclectic. Which means what, Meredith? Well, what that means is we pull a little bit from whatever works. So I'm really a big fan of whatever works. If you want to stand in the corner on your head for 20 minutes and it gives you a great quality of life, go for it. You know? <laughs> the eclectic approach, as I think of it, is, is reading a client, seeing where they are, what's going to work for them, and pulling from our tools. I mean, we have been doing this long enough to know mostly what we're doing. And we'll give you a little bit of that clinical insight along the way too, but we're not going to do it in a very dry clinical way unless we're already doing that and you've tuned out. But if you're hearing this, you haven't. So I think we're all right. (laughs) So let's talk about therapy. Why is it important for people to be in therapy and who is therapy really for? My answer is anybody. It can be beneficial for anybody at any time in their life. You don't have to be crazy. It's really helpful to have an outside perspective, non-biased, non-judgmental perspective on what's going on in your life, because we don't really have that often. Friends, family, they can't provide us that no matter how much they want to. No, they're, they're both biased in some way and subjective, right? Because they know us or they have their own opinion of something and their own perspective. They're also not necessarily going to be <laughs> almost never clinically trained. I mean, a lot of our friends are therapists because that's who we hang out with and who our circle is. And they're also still crazy and I wouldn't go to them (laughs) if my life depended on it. Right. Not all therapists have their shit together. That's another misconception. We become therapists so we don't have to deal with our own shit. (laughs) Sometimes. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah, You said therapy is not just for people that are crazy and it's not just for when things are wrong. A lot of people use therapy as a place to just find a sounding board, find some inspiration, Mm -hmm. motivation, and not just in a you know, soundbite or Tony Robbins style speech. It's something with lasting change to really look at your patterns or how, you know, you're shaped by a lot of how you were shaped to begin with. Mm-hmm. And you're still holding that shape and you can reshape that. It just takes a lot of work with somebody who knows what they're doing and knows how to do that. Cause our brains really are just a giant glob of silly buddy. And a lot of my clients expect me to tell them what to do when they come in, which, you know, every blue moon I will. However, it's more of a, we work together to figure things out. I will work as hard as you will. Right. So what you're going to hear in this is somebody coming to therapy. You'll get to hear, you know, not just a one-off session, but you'll get to follow along with somebody through many sessions and see how we work through different things that come up through what this person's bringing in, through what gets revealed over time. And a lot of the methods, that eclectic style that we have where we're using certain things to help highlight something, are things that you can take and apply to what's going on in your life. Maybe we can talk about the person they're actually going to hear 
me talk with. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give away too much of who this guy is. I'm a little bit ahead of where you guys are going to hear in real time, but you're hearing the full sessions as they unfold and you're hearing our breakdown as it's kind of coming to us and unfolding. So this guy contacted me and wanted to come in. I didn't know much about him at all other than, you know, he's 24 years old and he's working, but he's having some difficulty right now and, and wants things to be different in his life than they are right now. Pretty vague, pretty ambiguous. We don't want a spoiler. We don't want any spoilers. Right. But that's also, yeah, I, I mean, I yeah. think we as the therapists don't want spoilers from our client. We want to sit down with them and get to know them. True. And we and don't want to spoil it for you guys. Exactly. So double no spoilers. Yep. So what you're going to hear, you'll hear his story and you'll hear parts of it. It doesn't all come out at once. I think that's a big thing where clients will kind of think, where do I begin? You know, where, where do I start? What do I tell you? How do I tell you the whole story right away? And that's not something that you really need to concern yourself with because that gets revealed over time. It's just kind of looking at, well, where are you right now? What's going on right now? And we can start with that, which is what we do. You really just, for me, get to learn them and go with them and see what they're going to respond to. And that's what you were saying about that eclectic style or that salad bar, pulling out what they might like or what they might respond to and seeing what sticks for them and, and what resonates with them. And that's something I love is being able to read the person across the room from me and see what they are responding to or what's resonating or what's not and being able to adjust myself based on that. Mm -hmm. What I kind of wanted to capture with this is what it really sounds like in the room, you know, and how we are, how, how comfortable you can get. And sometimes that takes a little time. Sometimes it happens pretty quickly. And I think something else to know is most therapists will have had some of their own therapy. Yes. In fact, most therapists I know are in therapy or go to a therapist. It's, it's not, Again, breaking down the stigma, it's not because there's something wrong. It's, hey, this helps. Right. I know it helps because I do it. 100%. Yeah. You are about to hear a real live session with my client. And just so you all know, this is not the norm. Most clients are not recorded, but this client gave his full permission and knows what's happening. And we maintain his confidentiality as best we can in terms of taking out any identifiable information, any specific names, and some specific places. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. I don't know how innocent they are, but we're protecting them. <laughs> we sure are. People's experiences of therapy and therapists mm -hmm. have been negative. Right. Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like, it should be a very empowering process yeah. for you, and it's one of the scariest that people go through. I mean, mm -hmm. some people are very hesitant to reach out right. and just get stuck with whatever they, the first person that grabbed a hold. I saw a therapist back in Seattle and the only reason I saw her was it was my mom's therapist. And so it, it got kind of weird because of that, because a lot of my shit stems from my mom. And so it, sure. it really fucked everything up. It just got kind of messy for a little bit. Yeah. And so that's why I've been like super hesitant to go see another therapist and kind of like get to the point where I feel comfortable in this space. Sure. But I need it. I definitely know I need it. We'll walk through all that. I just want to make sure in the very beginning here that you know my priority is you above anything else. Mm -hmm. you know, in the very beginning, a lot of what this is is getting to know each other. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that 
sometimes a client will feel like, well, where do I start? How do I tell the whole story? Yeah. We'll get to the whole story. Cool. We don't need it all right now. Yeah. You know, I, I can see you've kind of got some energy. You're like, all right, dude, shut up. Let me talk now. Right. Well, and, and like, I totally feel you on that. Cause like, I was, I was talking to a friend last night about it and like just kind of what to expect and like all of that. And like, it, I didn't even thought about any of that yet. Mm-hmm. And, Cause I was so focused on just to your point, spewing and and i totally feel that you know I, and i think that's how this should work to an extent of, of starting from the ground zero and getting to know each other and, and that's how it's going to come organically so like i'm fully open my biggest worry of sorts of like where do i even start to begin i don't know i'm here i think this is the first step of like where i need to be it's just yeah. that's yeah. this is my start absolutely is i love that yeah there's no wrong answer to this yeah. at all um, sometimes I'll tell clients like start in the middle mm-hmm. and then work either way and mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about spewing and getting some stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Spew, let's just see. And, and you don't have to put it into a, a context or here's the table of contents mm-hmm. and all that. I don't care, man. We'll, we'll make sense it. as we go. Just yeah. whatever wants to come out, let it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess I'll start with who I am, where I've come from. I moved to LA like a year and a half ago. So like this big city to me is it's wild and it's different and it's something I've never experienced. I'm from Seattle, like I said. And so I lived like kind of in the woods up there. So that transition from like woods life to big city, because I live downtown, like mid city. Oh wow. And so like I'm concrete jungle now. And so like just the adjustment from going there to here as a whole has been just wild you know over the last 16 18 months it's just been a complete flip in my life had like a decent job kind of just did my day-to-day stuff and didn't really stress about too much of the bigger picture Mm -hmm. it was just kind of like day in day out cool we're doing it like we're making it happen now i work at a place which is Mm -hmm. like it's super fast it's crazy i mean it's constantly day-to-day i'm working crazy hours working weekends like it's just non-stop I feel like my biggest stress right now is not being able to get away from anything. It's just like a constant, like I'm always in something. I'm always doing something. There's no, there's no getting out. You know what I mean? There's no me escaping. It's just like, here you are. You got to do this. Do it. What about at at night or weekends? Can you shut down or is there like a constant hum in your head? It's a constant. And so I'm like, honestly, like I smoke weed to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I smoke a couple bowls and then I lay down and that's my chill. But um, right. I've gotten to the point where it's like, I don't even like doing that anymore. Mm. And I almost see it more because like, I've smoked weed for like 10 years. You know right. what I mean? So it's it's always been like in my my life, my adult life. Right. Um, and so now I'm getting to a point where it's like, I want to be smoking. I want to be able to just, just shut it off and mm. sleep on my own. And like weed's weed, you know what I mean? Like I don't see it as like, uh, I'm not out here doing anything crazy, but like to me, it's like, okay, if I'm so dependent on this, like why? Like what? Yeah. what is the point of me having to smoke just to go to sleep? But it's looking at, all right, is it keeping me from anything? And that's, that's one thing to just note and mm-hmm. we'll figure that out as we walk through it. Right now, it's, well, it's getting me to sleep but i'd like to be able to sleep and shut down differently what i'm hearing is just that yeah that mind's constantly going and that's it and so it's like my entire family lives back in canada that's like another struggle for me because like it takes so long to did see they stay there and you moved so me my parents my brother moved to seattle when i was seven gotcha. um grandparents and the rest of the family still live back 
there because so my parents owned a fishing resort family generationally. Mm -hmm. And then my dad kind of had, he was born, raised like from there. And because it's such a small place, he was like, I want, I want more. So he started a tech company, which is crazy because he's in the middle of nowhere. And like, there's, <laughs> right. no, there's no internet. Right. You know what I right. mean? So it's just one of those things like, okay. Um, and then that led us to go to Seattle because of the tech boom. I mean, that's wild. And even though you were young, seven, when you left, mm -hmm. your frames of reference for life in your first seven years was based on small town living. Mm -hmm. So going to a town near Seattle mm -hmm. was big for you. Right. And going to a school, you know, it was probably a small school by comparison to L.A. for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for you, probably wasn't. Massive. Yeah. 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 Do you even remember what that was like? Yeah. I mean, um, it, it was crazy. I, I remember my kindergarten. because That's when I started um, mm -hmm. schooling down, down in the States. I had never been away from my family in any regards because of where I came from. Right. And so then I got put into kindergarten kind of, OK, here you go. And like, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family. I had I was alone and I was like seven. And so I went through like mad separation anxiety, like kicking and screaming, like couldn't couldn't stop crying until I saw my mom again, like that kind of thing. Right. And so, I mean, just remembering back like kindergarten specifically, like I couldn't even take like a nap. You know what I mean? Like I, it was like very unsettled, very yeah, like, like what's going to happen? Where am I? What's going on? That kind of thing. Is your brother younger? He's older. Older. Yeah. Was he in the same school? He was. Yeah. And was there any comfort in knowing he was there? Um, no, <laughs> not not really. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, um, me and my brother's relationship is crazy, like like really crazy. So we're 16 months apart. He's older. Right. But I haven't talked to him in probably like 10 years. Wow. And so it um, and like that's why it's weird for me to think that far back because I don't really remember our relationship back then. Because all I can really remember is like now. And so I don't I don't think there was a comfort, but I also don't think like there was a discomfort, if that makes sense. It was just kind of like I didn't think about it. Right. It just it was. Just, yeah. yeah. Okay. But for mom, it was being away from mom. And mom was the symbol of, of comfort, mm -hmm. of soothing, of safety. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because my dad worked a lot. Right. You know, so like it, it was just me and my mom and that was kind of that. Like, especially in my younger years, like, it, like we did everything together. Mm. Like, every, because, like, especially back up in Canada, my dad would be gone on business trips or working at the lodge, like, fishing resort, that kind of vibe. Sure. And so, like, it'd be me, my mom, and my brother, and we just kind of, like, kicking in the kitchen, you wow. know? So it's... How often do you talk to mom now? Uh, I try and at least text her every day. Okay. Just say, hey, love you. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to do my own thing now that I'm here and try and break away from all of that. But on the flip side of that, that's all I've ever known. Yeah. And, and so it's like this weird, this weird like in between where it's like, I feel like I need my mom and dad in my life, but I'm also 24, <laughs> you know? So I'm trying to find the happy balance to where it's like, they know that I love them and care about them. Yeah. But I don't have to constantly call them and text them and, and do all this stuff. Like, I think it's a little overboard. Right. I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. As far as what that looks like. Yeah, there's a lot for you to figure out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's daunting. Yeah. You know, it really is. Yeah. Because you're 24, and by some standards, you'd be an old 24 because you moved around different places and you've been, you know, through some, some things, mm -hmm. right? 
But by some standards, you'd be a very young 24. Right. Because you haven't been in a big city. You haven't been separated enough from parents and family before and doing things on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's a little odd, it's right? It's very odd. Well, yeah. And, and I didn't I didn't move out for college or anything like that. And so when I moved down here, that was like my first, like, I'm out of the house now. Like, I got my own spot. I'm doing what I want to do. I don't have to come home to my parents. Like, I can do whatever I want to do. How and why the hell did you make that move? <laughs> I don't do it. Honestly, I don't know. It was a it was a crazy, wild. I overheard a conversation of a guy that said he was moving down here that I worked with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that sounds interesting. What are you talking about? And he was like, oh, I'm moving to L.A. And I knew I needed to get out of my house. I just couldn't figure out what that looked like. And then right. this happened. And I was like, yes, that's it. That's my ticket out. Let's go. And I, I don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I come from a family that has been very successful. Right. And so, like, growing up, I've always had, like, whatever I want, whenever I wanted it. If I needed $100 to go get dinner, here's $100. Go have fun. Your parents still helping you out? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they help me out. And I suck at finances. Like, I, I'm very bad at budgeting and, and figuring out how much money I need a day and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, right. so that's, like, a big thing I've been working on. But I do feel like I'm living a lifestyle that I want, but I can't mm-hmm. support it. And so my parents support it, but then it's like, well, am I really living how I want to live? You know? <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? Because I, I think I know what you mean, but it's, I want to hear you say it. Well, so I'm trying to think the right way to say it. Um, say it the wrong way. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I work in fashion. And right. so like on a certain level, I have to dress a certain way. I, I have to shop to go see what else is out there. I have to be in that world to become something in that world. Mm-hmm. And, and so the flip side of that is like, I'm balling on like a hundred dollar a week budget, trying to go out to like a five hundred dollar dinner. You know what I mean? And so those two just don't make sense now. And and I have a girlfriend in my life that's like she's fucking dope, but that that is stress too because like we're going to dinner. Does she like, know your financial state? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, um, so you're not concealing from her. It's no. yeah. This is what I make here, pretty much. Yeah. I got a hundred bucks in my wallet, but shit, we're going out to eat. So I got to hit up my parents. Oh yeah. And, and I've got their credit card. So I'm going to throw that But down. the funniest thing is, is um, I work with her. Oh really? Yeah. So she, she, we make the same amount of money. So she knows exactly what you she do knows and how much exactly you how much I make. Right. Right. And does she have any sort of support herself financially or yeah. is she? Okay. You guys are in a similar place. So there's there's some comfort in that. Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah. You know, and I feel like me and her come from like a really cool, like similar background in the sense of like how we grew up and and the shit she's been through and like the shit I've been through. We've kind of connected on that level. Yeah. Different, definitely different, but yeah. definitely been through shit on both sides. Hmm. So it's been nice to have somebody that's been through something to be able to connect with on Absolutely. that level. Yeah. It, it's just different. You yeah. know, like way different. Yeah, because she, she gets me yeah. and I get her. Yeah. And there's something about being seen mm-hmm. that's really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and interesting. So I'm hearing you talk about this stuff, right? Yeah. And I told you I would find the yeah. through line. It would make sense yeah. to me, right? And I'm hearing, you know, something really cool, which is, yeah, you're, you're 24 and there's a life that you want to be living mm-hmm. that in some respects you are living. Mm-hmm. You're doing some things that you like. If you're in fashion or design or whatever it is, like, great. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to be doing, yeah. at least for right now. Mm-hmm. It's cool. But there's a lot of <laughs> that world around it that I need to maintain right. that 
is hard because I'm still tied to parents in order to maintain that. Mm -hmm. And I want a sense of individuality. Mm -hmm. I want to be my own person. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can still do that while getting some support from parents. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's still very possible. Yeah. I, I would guess that you're a very loyal person yeah. and that extends to parents mm -hmm. and that extends to some kind of moral code or however they might've brought you up. Mm -hmm. Like, here's how I'd like to do things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's important to you. I think the biggest thing in my life was loyalty. And, and, and even like since I was like a kid, my dad always said, don't lie to yourself. Like that was like the like I had a conversation with him like two days ago and he brought that up. And, and it was like, OK, like I hear you. I get it. And, and so like that's like like for me, I'm very honest with myself, but it's hard for me to like spew that out in a way that people understand it because hmm. I, I feel like. I think a lot of the time when I'm trying to be honest with somebody, it's taken as an arrogant or like a too confident type of thing. I'm just trying to get the information in my head out, but it just comes across completely like wrong. Hmm. And, and so it, it's like I'm very shy in that sense uh, yeah. of opening it up and trying to um, trying to really share how I feel. Right. You know, I'm very cautious on, on all of that just because it's just too much for me at the end of the day. Too much how? I think it's too much in a vulnerability state to where it's like, if I put too much out, then I'm going to get hit back with way more than I can handle right now. Mm. And so I'd rather just not. I like that you're coming from a place of vulnerability first, yeah. Yeah. you know, and you're going, wait, maybe this isn't safe. Yeah. You know, again, began in a town of 500, <laughs> you know, then in this wooded place that's slightly bigger mm -hmm. and now in LA mm -hmm. where it's for the most part, I think people are very guarded here. Mm -hmm. They don't come out with their feelings right away. Mm -hmm. At least in LA, they're more liberal thinking yeah. and more open to things mm -hmm. and probably going to connect with you in some ways mm -hmm. that feel very comfortable. Mm -hmm. But getting there is sometimes tough. Right. You know, you're coming from that place of vulnerability first and then you're not met with that yet, mm -hmm. so it's not safe yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's almost like you're being surrounded by, especially if you're in fashion, a lot of the bullshit, yeah. a lot of the facade, and a lot of the, you know, the people that are going to those $500 dinners and dropping bills like nobody's business. Yeah. And, you know, with table service and all this stuff. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, well, and, it, and it's crazy too, because like I'm hanging out with people that are like billionaires and, and like have five houses in Malibu and driving whatever car they want to buy and getting on the private jet and, and going to New York for the night and coming back. And it's like, yo, I can't even, like, I can't touch any of that. Right. You know, so it's like half of me is like, that's what I want. But then the other half of me is like, I can't, that's not even close to where I can be. Not yet. And it certainly won't be how you're going to be. Yeah. We haven't even talked about <laughs> what you want or why you're here, but there, there's something about your integrity, which I think is incredibly strong and solid and good mm, thanks yeah I, I could hear it in you there's a purity to you mm. now i don't know if it's the small town kid <laughs> or what but there's something very pure in you mm -hmm. that i can see is getting and probably has been getting covered up mm -hmm. and beat up mm -hmm. to a degree absolutely and that's why we're guarding a lot that's why we're stressed and unsafe a lot even just what little you told me that's my frame of reference for things, yours. Mm -hmm. I was immediately not safe. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even like going to school. I needed mom. I, I, I was not safe. 
So it's been almost a lifelong thing for you that way. Mm-hmm. And now we might be looking at like, oh, how do I be an individual with with my vulnerability and, and my sense of, you know, sense of self, mm-hmm. right? And this purity. No, it's not. It historically hasn't been safe. So why the hell would it be safe now when I'm getting dinged everywhere I go? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So let me ask you this. Where, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be five years from now? If we're checking in with each other, like right before you're turning 30, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you're like, oh man, Doug, life is great right now. Like I'm, I'm bring on 30. Things are really good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really happy and I feel fulfilled and I feel like myself. What would that look like? This is the conversation I had with my dad like two days ago. Really? Yeah, like <laughs> like verbatim. And, and I guess my answer to that in a roundabout sort of way is like, I really want a family. You know, I, I want a house. I want somewhere to like go home to. And I don't really know what that looks like. But like, that's my 30. That's my five-year plan is to like be in a spot where it's like I'm comfortable and not not stressing about the little things. And like, I like, of course, life is going to be stressful. Like, of course it is, you know, but the stress that I'm feeling now and like the shit that, like I go through day to day, like I know it's not normal. And, and so like, I know like there's something that it stems from. And I just don't know what that looks like yet. But my end goal for five years from now is to have a family, to have a house, to to have a dog in a front yard and, and like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it's going to take to get there, whether it's like a job or like what what's the in between. I'm not sure yet. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But like, that's what I want. And, and that's where I want to be. What about the quality of your life, how you are mm-hmm. and who's around you? What does that look like at turning 30? I want good people in my life, you know, and I think to your point, L.A. is a really hard spot to find that. And honestly, like I haven't really found anybody that's like I've clicked with to where it's like, oh, yeah, you're my homie. Like, let, like that's my guy right there. I haven't found that since I've been here. And so like, that's been kind of a struggle, too. It, and like, I don't really know how to go about finding those people because like my industry is out partying clubs, anything you want to do whenever you want to do it. And it's like, I'm on the reverse side of that. It's like, yo, I want to go work. I want to go make money. I want to, instead of going to a club, I'd rather go to that dinner and, and chat and talk and get to know you and like, and like vibe like that versus just go getting fucked up and calling it a night, you know, cause I, I've been there, I've done that, I've experienced that, not for me, but it's hard. Cause like my industry, that's what you have to do. You know, like networking wise, you, like you have to go out, you have to go see people, you have to show up to events, you just have to. And so I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I, I want good people in my life. I want people that support me for like who I am and like what I'm doing and and really care about what I'm doing and not like, a, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. It's interesting. In a second, I'm going to ask you why you're here. Yeah. Right. What I can hear just based on that, that five year from now mm-hmm. sort of idea in that picture is almost I'm on that path. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm working and I'm surrounded by people. So I, if I keep networking, if I keep doing this thing, mm-hmm. I will get myself there. Yeah. Okay. But I sense discontent, mm-hmm. like whether that's, but I'm stressed out. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Mm-hmm. I'm smoking weed just to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, I don't want to be going out to the clubs every night. I don't want to be so reliant on my parents. Mm-hmm. I can hear that already. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, well, I'm on this path, but I don't like, you know, I'm barefoot. My feet are getting chopped up. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And I don't know if that's accurate, but I can hear some of that coming across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think, I think the main reason I chose the path I chose it's because I knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to school. I knew I wasn't going to do a typical nine to five. You know, I, I've known that since I was 15. And so really got kind of put in front of me of like, who do I want to be? What do you want to do? And kind of looking at my dad and like how he did it. He didn't go to school. He just kind of, he knew what he wanted to do as like a big picture and just started it. And it, and it grew and grew and grew and grew and, and now he's where he's at. And so I kind of saw the same thing. It's like, I just got to start somewhere. And I think the biggest struggle for me right now is like, I can quit all this and move back to Northern Canada and go fish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. like, is this all worth it? Is all the bells and whistles really what I want? Or is it like a low key family out in the middle of nowhere that I want? And so it, it, it's like being torn between two sides and like my parents being super successful. It's like, I also don't want them to see what I'm doing as like almost a failure. You know, mm-hmm. so like there's an added, like I didn't go to school. I didn't get the best grades in high school, but now right. I'm in a position where it's like 99% of America sees like what I'm doing is like, like the American dream. Right. But once you're in it, it's like, yo, this shit sucks. A lot of people that I talk to, we say, yeah, my life looks great on paper. Yeah. But we don't live on paper. Right. We live with our actual experience of things. Mm-hmm. And what that experience is is nothing like how it might read to somebody on paper, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And the grass is always greener. So there are people that hear what you have, they want that. But once, like you said, once you get there, mm-hmm. like, wait, <laughs> the same what I thought it was going to be, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I told you I was going to ask you this in yeah. a second. Why are you here? What do you want to get? I think first and foremost, the biggest reason I'm here is I have, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to explain it. We're going to go zero to hundred real quick. That's fine. But I get like crazy night terrors in the sense of like, I went and saw my last therapist and I went to a doctor and she diagnosed it as suicidal ideology. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I would never actually do it, but it's like, that's my escape. And kind of going back to the escape talk, like that, that's what I've just been closing down on. And so like, as of like the last couple of months, I've just been having like, crazy suicidal like dreams and like like that kind of thing where I'll like I'll, I'll wake up and like I'll be like half asleep but half awake and like that's what I'm thinking about and so I start every day like that and then it just puts me in, like a really bad spot and then I go to sleep in the same mindset and it's just a mm. it's just a reoccurring thing that's scary it's really scary yeah yeah and so like I'm trying and like I haven't I haven't really been able to like voice that in like any any way to somebody that's actually kind of understood it you know, kind of like when I have talked about it in the past, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, that's so scary. Like, I'm so sorry. What can we do? You know, and it's like, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's fucking scary. And yeah, it's every night. Like, it's just a constant. And so, like, like yeah. I said, it, it's time for me to, to reach out and try and get help and, and see where it goes. And if it does help, then great. If not, it is what it is. But I'm at least trying. Mm true i mean you can see on my face yeah. i'm kind of going ah. <laughs> yes it is what it is yeah. but i'm not okay with it being there yeah you know we're going to do something about that yeah because it's that's not an okay way to live nah. you know? no no and, and like like you said like it's super scary and like it really reaches out to like the unknown of like i don't even know what today looks like at that point well and it it goes back to your earliest fears mm-hmm. 
You know, like you said, fear the unknown. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something that mom has been my North Star. That that that's what I know. That that grounds me. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do, it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen yeah. like that. Yeah. But we're going to find that grounding in and for yourself. Mm -hmm. We can't rely on anybody else. We need to find that strength in ourselves yeah. somehow. Yeah. And we will. Yeah. yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Right? No, definitely. We'll use, you know, mom or what we got from mom as just a frame of reference for it. Here's what it's like when there is something known, when there is something comfortable, when you know you're okay. Mm. But some of your earliest memories that you were telling me was of just not being okay. Mm -hmm. I will probably save this like more deep for like next time, but just like the other thing that's like really affected my life. And like, I've known this is like why I am the way I am now. So my mom, obviously, we've talked about her a little bit. When I was 13, I figured out that she had, like, a pill and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. And so from 13 kind of to, like, 16 is where I kind of was like, what's going on? Like, what is this? Why? And then when I was, like, 16, she tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one that found her. And so, like, I walked in and she was out with, like, pills and, like, NyQuil and, like, all this shit around her. And, like, she just, like, that was that. And then fast forward another year, I was skiing. My dad calls me. He's like, yo, your mom tried to commit suicide again. Like, come home, please. Like, please come home right now. Um, so I came home, saw her in the hospital, went through all this shit all over again. She's been at a, in and out of rehab for the last, like, seven years. Hmm. And so it's just been, like, a whirlwind of, like, I know every October it's downhill again. Seattle gets really gray, and like I think that plays a huge effect on her. And so like even right now, like I like that's why I text her every day because like I don't I don't know what tomorrow is gonna be. I don't know if she's still gonna be here tomorrow because like she's still wow. using, she's still doing all this shit. And so it's like I have no idea, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and that's I mean if that's what we were talking about, or at least I was talking about about your north star, your yeah. stability, and yeah. we're looking at well from a very young age. It was not stable, right. you know, and there's that fear of if I'm not constantly connected to her, is she going to go away? Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant. That's incredibly scary. I mean, mm -hmm. not just scary, but not safe. Yeah. And I'm, I'm truly sorry because that's some of your early experiences and you carry that around and that shapes a lot of how you are. Mm -hmm. You know, and probably a lot of your relationships and that loyalty, that that idea of. When I find one, I'm holding on. Yeah. And if it's not that, fuck it, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's a far cry from feeling that strength in myself. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we will get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We need to. Yeah. Because we are in this life on our own. Mm-hmm. As much as we have our parents' support and they've got our backs and I'll get my my, my homies, I'll get their backs too. Mm -hmm. It is your singular life. Mm -hmm. And we need to find that strength in ourselves. Yeah. We have to. Mm -hmm. That piece won't happen overnight. We've got several yeah, steps yeah, before yeah. we get there. Right? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of why I didn't bring it up. Like, because obviously like that's like the biggest thing that I know is wrong. And I, I it's hard for me just to, like, even now it's like, I know we're going to get to it. I know it's going to come out eventually. But I, I also think it's a very important thing for, like, both of us to talk about, especially in the beginning stages, so you kind of understand, like, why I'm coming from where I'm coming from and, and, like, where it all, like, that's the center of, like, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I 
can't remember if you said 13 or 16 or somewhere in between finding your mom. Yeah. How old were you? 16. 16. Dude. Yeah. At 16, you might have an awareness of what's going on, Mm -hmm. but more like, oh shit, I better do something. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have an awareness of what's really going on. Yeah. You know, and even having an understanding of it now to just go, yeah, my mom, you know, pills and alcohol and suicidal Mm -hmm. ideation that, that, I get sometimes maybe she had, but mm-hmm. hers was more than just that. Right. And not having a handle on that yourself mm-hmm. and carrying that around for such a long time, man. And just a year later hearing from dad, there it is again, when you weren't around, it's a lot to hold, man. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to hold. And believe me in here, I, I've heard, I've heard it all. I've experienced it all. Mm-hmm. You name it. Yeah. You know, so finding people that understand what that is and what that's like i got you thank you right and yeah. i'm glad that you brought that up because yeah. that's that's the vulnerability you were talking about mm-hmm. yeah because i mean like, i know it's there you know i i understand like to the point of like never lying to myself like i know why i'm fucked up like, I, I know where it's coming from i just don't know how to deal with it and i don't know how to like arrange it in a spot where like, i feel comfortable to be like okay this is what it is this is how i deal with it yeah let's keep going but I'll, I'll give you a yeah. little little preview of things because a, a lot of what I do with people, I might have said this to you on the phone, is I help them rewire their brains. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come in going, no, I'm just hardwired this way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, <laughs> we can rewire. Mm-hmm. I mean, the brain is, is pliable. It's neuroplasticity. It can change. There's there's all this research on it. Yeah. We have books on the shelf about rewiring your brain and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, we can do it, yes. but we grow up with certain frames of reference for things and our brains make sense of things in a certain way. And we just take that as truth. Mm-hmm. And we don't ever consciously or even unconsciously think to challenge it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that even now think that the earth is flat. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and if you grew up and you laugh, right? But people think that. Yeah. But if you grew up thinking that the earth was flat, you know, and somebody just said, hey, it's round. Yeah. You'd be like... That's not, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get it. Right, right. You'd have to like sail around the world and see that you didn't fall off, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You'd have to get evidence and experience that it's not that way mm-hmm. and build other frames of reference for it. Right. Right? Yeah, definitely. So that that's what we're going to have to do. It's sort of like training your brain mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Right? I mean, some people go to the gym and lift weights and, and get big, mm-hmm. right? Like me, you can tell. Yeah, huge, oh, right? yeah, every day I feel it. <laughs> but I mean, the same is true for our brains too. Yeah. You know, we have to work them out. Yeah. And we're working against muscle memory, against, you know, feeling this not safe, feeling this anxious feeling. And it's seeped from your consciousness into your unconsciousness. That's why it comes out in dreams a lot. Mm. You know, in your dreams, your unconscious mind is trying to work things out. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's going... Hey, dude, don't ignore this. Yeah. Figure this shit out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. We'll walk that. Yeah. We'll get there. Because it's it's something where I can see the trajectory of, of five years for your career and doing all that. I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. You'll hit that. Mm-hmm. You're driven. Mm-hmm. You've got a good work ethic. Mm-hmm. You, you know enough of what you want. You'll get there. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But we got to do this other piece. Yeah. And you got to be able to enjoy the five years and enjoy that you can put in hard work too but Mm -hmm. you got to be able to enjoy the experience of it yeah i I think that's the biggest thing right now i'm just not enjoying much yeah i'm trying to no offense really Mm -hmm. and i'm saying this for impact right 
But of course, you're not enjoying it. You're a scared little kid. Yeah. And I don't mean a 24 year old kid. Right. I mean, you've been a scared little kid yeah. that you've kind of held and carried around for so long in your brain. Yeah. In that wiring. Yeah. How could you possibly enjoy any of this? Yeah. No, and that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Again, part of it for us is going to be going to some of the root core beliefs mm-hmm. and going, right, world's not flat, it's round. So let's start proving that to ourselves, mm-hmm. challenging other thoughts, bringing some of this unconscious stuff to our consciousness so we can do something with mm-hmm. it and just being able to spew it out and we'll make sense of it together. Mm-hmm. It's possible that <laughs> you might not believe this, but, <laughs> and maybe, maybe it won't be true, but it might get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And I mean that only because we're taking things that are deeply embedded in your unconsciousness and bringing them to consciousness so we can look at them and make sense of them. Yeah. So we can pick up the pieces and put it together the way we want to. Mm-hmm. Not the way that it's familiar, not the way that it has been. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I'm prepared for that. You know, I, I know I know what this looks like. Yeah. And, and like, I know, like you said, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but it, it's got to get better. Yeah. And so we got to do what we got to do. And the worst is it's already been the worst it's ever going to be. Yeah. It's just instead of shoving that down or putting a little weed haze on it, mm-hmm. we're going, wait, hang on. Let's bring it out. Let's look at it. Let's challenge it. Let's tweak it. Let's do what we can to it. Let's work this muscle out. Yeah. I said it to you on the phone. I really mean it. I'm excited for where you are right now. I think you're in a good spot Mm -hmm. because you're you're young, you're driven, and you're unhappy Mm -hmm. because of how things have been. I think you're very motivated to change those things. Yeah. Very motivated to change. Yeah. 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 I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't what I wanted to do. My mom does this. And I was like, I, my dad's a lawyer. I was like, I will never be a lawyer. I'll never be a therapist. Yeah. I'm going to be a rock star. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's something that just came to me and, and it was a calling and I followed it. And I love this. Yeah. And I love this because I love helping guys like you and, and having a real impact on your life in a way where you can go. Yeah, I am. I can feel the rewiring happen. I can feel it being different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our first session together. What did you think? I thought it was awesome. I think that it's so nice to be able to be a fly on a wall in someone's session because as therapists, we just don't get to do that that often, you know, or ever. In school, there used to be an exercise where they have that two-way mirror, Yeah. right? So yeah. you would all watch somebody doing a session and it was oh, nerve-wracking. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do really like your style. There's so much of myself that I see in the way you work and things that I notice that I do differently, not better or worse. Right. He mentioned the, you know, the one thing when he started about having a shitty experience with therapists and I guess the one therapist he saw was working with his mom. Right. Um, question for you. Do you do that? Do you see family members separately or couples or? It kind of depends. You take it. I take it case by case. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a couple and then one of them wants to see me individually. And I'm pretty clear about if we do that, I can no longer be your couples therapist. Right. Because there's, I mean, you need that. I, yeah, I do. I'm a big believer in that. I have serious boundaries. You know, I have a 
new client who asked me if I could see her little brother. And as much as I would love to, I can't, I want, I want my place to be a really safe space for them. And a lot of therapists do, and I'm not trying to judge it. I don't really understand it that much. And I think a lot of listeners might want to know, well, can I see my mom's therapist or what's wrong with that? And, you know, for me, the truth is I can't keep secrets from somebody. So, you know, I think I I can, I can suspend that, but I don't want a client thinking I know something. Right. Although right now I'm seeing, uh, two different brothers of former clients of mine. And they came to me because they know from their brother, yes. respectively, yes. wow, this guy really helped me. Yeah. I really want to see him. I really want to work with him. I'll do that too. Right. But they're not, the brothers aren't your clients anymore, right? No, they're not my clients anymore. However, one of them has contacted me just to get a tune-up mm-hmm. and that was fine. Yeah, and yes. They're, they're, and it's funny because a lot of the things that we might do in sessions are similar in terms of some of the analogies that I might use or mm-hmm. some of the ways I look at things. And they now that they have both seen me, they can reinforce that with each other That's so awesome. they become a better support for one another. Yeah. That's why it's case by yeah. case. Yeah, if, exactly. If it were two siblings that did not get along, I wouldn't want to step in right. and be the therapist for each of them. Right. I could see them together. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, That's I agree. Different. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. What else did you like about me? What else? I like everything <laughs> about you, Doug. Um, let's see. So I liked how you talked about just getting to know each other. You mentioned that your priority was him sort of, again, reiterating that thing about his mom's therapist and, and sort of what to expect in the first session. Like, do they need to tell the whole story? You guys use the word spew so many times. It made me uncomfortable. (laughs) A lot of times I'll pick up the verbiage that they're giving me. Well, as long as it's not moist. Oh, come on now. (laughs) So I, I mean, for me, it's a little different. I do I sit down with, you know, my assessment intake papers and I ask questions. So I basically, you know, and if they want to tell me something, I don't stop them. And I don't, you know, if I don't get the medication they're on during the first session, that's okay. But you have that form in front of you. I have a form in front of me. I go through and, you know, I don't lead as opposed to, you know, I'll prompt. I don't lead. Right. So, but for me, I, I like to get the whole picture first and then you know, sort of go from there. And I see for you, you work really well with getting to know things as it goes along. Because when he mentioned that he hasn't talked to his brother in 10 years, I was like, why not? Why haven't you? Doug, ask him. I want to know right now. Right. And you didn't. And I was sad. Yeah. Well, you get to hear that, I think in two weeks from now. Right. But that's something where I, I, there are things as a therapist you will hear and you can't necessarily hit right there in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that full picture right then because I'm going to get a very clinical sounding version of it. And when I say clinical sounding, I mean the client is going to deconstruct it a certain way or say it a certain way. I'd rather it come out when we're going to sit with the emotion of that story, sit with the thoughts of that story. He was talking about something else, you know, and then mentioned, you know, hadn't talked to his brother in 10 years. Like that's something that a therapist, probably anybody, anybody out there listening went, whoa, what is that about? And they're holding that and they have that question. Part of being a therapist is not asking that right away. You know, for me, it's logging that and knowing that's there. And it's something we're going to hit. And especially because he really looked like he was almost jumping out of his skin to tell me his story and to spew this yeah. out. Like, go ahead and spew, man. Right. Like, anything you want to get out, let's let's get it out. 
you don't have to tell me the whole picture. We'll come up with it. Right. You know? And I think you were really good at waiting for a safe space, a place to say certain things at certain times, ask certain questions at certain times. You know, he brought up his mom and then eventually you guys really dove into that a little bit more for a first session. Right. Right. And it's also looking at like the clock when we're with a a client, because there are some things that he was saying that, wow, we don't have time to really Mm -hmm. honor this the way it needs to be and to walk through it in a way that's going to be healing. So I'm holding it. And that's partly why this job is so tough. We hold so much. Every time I think about this client, I'm going to be thinking about hasn't talked to brother in 10 years, these, you know, situations with mother and all the separation anxiety that he's, you know, experienced in his life. I'm constantly thinking about that. And my ear from this point on is listening for how do we strengthen his sense of self and individuation? Because he said he wanted to do his own thing. He's trying to do his own thing, but he's so tied to parents and he talks to mom every day. So there's still some sense of that separation anxiety and wanting to be my own independent person, right? That I like how you said, you know, eventually you heard him say vulnerability a lot, separation anxiety, and without him necessarily walking in and saying, here are the three things that I want to work on. Eventually you guys together came to some, some big points that are things for him to work on. And he may not have had the vernacular or couldn't figure out how to phrase it exactly, but together you guys really came up with some concrete things. Totally. I'm also listening to, you know, how he's saying something because I'm listening for where are the patterns? How did that get there? What's his, what's his programming in his brain right now telling him? And I don't need to know exactly where that came from yet. I just need to know what that looks like. I'm just meeting him for the first time, but already I'm looking at, wow, he said vulnerability a lot. Um, when we talked about where you see yourself in five years, he was wanting to be comfortable, not stressing. Like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that's been piled on in his life. And I could tell when he dropped the things about, you know, smoking weed to go to sleep, the thing with his brother, the thing with his mother, like there's a lot that he's still holding on to that we're going to come out with more. But what's his pattern? His pattern is needing to protect himself, needing to be okay, be reassured that everything's going to be okay. Because a lot, you know, hasn't been. Yeah. Why did you ask him where he wants to be in five years? I can't imagine that that just doesn't, doesn't occur to me. And Oh, yeah. I love that. I love framing a first session with clients, either depending on what they're giving me, because it really does depend on, on where the client is. I love framing, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? Or even asking like, hey, if this was our last session, if things in your life were going wonderfully and everything was great and you were like, hey, Doug, thank you for all your help. I, I think I'm done. I'm good. Not that that you know, really happens to people, but I want to create that picture of what their life would look like in sort of that perfect version of things, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's a great question for sure. It's a version of, of, in school, they teach us the miracle question, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You I love this that. One? Yeah. Yeah. It's if you woke up in the morning and everything in your life was, you know, the way you would want it, what would it look like? And it's, I, I listen for are people telling me about the absence of negative things mm-hmm. in their life? Mm-hmm. Like is your five year from now or your end of therapy or your, your miracle question? I wake up and my dad's not yelling at me anymore. Um, I'm not struggling to, you know, make ends meet. I 
don't have this going on. You know, that's, you're, you're telling me the absence of negative things. And I'm looking at, they're not able to articulate and recognize that they want to bring in positive things. Right. Right. right? And uh, so I have a question, yeah. Doug. Yes, Meredith. Is this your average client? Because this is not my average client. I, I tend to work with not necessarily lower functioning by any means, but higher risk, easily emotionally dysregulated. I specialize in borderline personality disorder, addiction, suicidal clients. And this kid, literally 24 years old, he comes in, he's so insightful, insightful, intelligent. He's so young. I was just really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Is it my, my regular client? Not necessarily. Is this your uh, average, average type of client? Not necessarily. Okay. And it does vary. I, I think there were things uh, about him that aren't what they appeared initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you look at him and he looks a lot different. He presents with, you know, he's got a sleeve tattoo. Ooh. He's wearing rings, necklaces, you know, looks very hip. Yeah. He's in the fashion world. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot going on about him that that looks like he's presenting a certain aura. Right. But you get to know him and you hear how sensitive he is, how vulnerable he is, how insightful he is. I would say that my clients might not all, my my average client might not present either externally the way he did or internally the way he did in the beginning, but it's something they're all looking for. Right. Right. And I don't, by no means am I minimizing his difficult life or situation or, you know, all the things he grew up with seeing his mom and, you know, the addiction and the suicide. I mean, that's all super intense, but he himself just seemed very uh, stable, if you will, in well, the moments. Yeah. Perhaps he also mentioned having night terrors almost every night. Right. And that's true. And, and what we call stable is very unstable for him. Right. right. He even mentioned uh, having gone to somebody and being told he had what he told me was suicidal ideology. Which is not a thing. No. And hearing it, it wasn't right to correct him in that moment. No, of course. Because uh, I knew what he was saying. Yeah. It and just sucks sometimes that a professional mental health person can give you can tell you something that's not even accurate. Well, he might've been told the accurate thing, which is called suicidal ideation. Good point. Which was not appropriate for what he was talking about necessarily. Right. But suicidal ideation is when you're just thinking about suicide. Right. Right. And it could be pervasive thought, could be a fleeting thought. It's, it's one of the, it's a clinical term that we use. Suicidal ideology is not a clinical term, but it, you know, I listen for, their language a lot, clients' language a lot, because that will tell us some of their programming. And for him to say suicidal ideology, that's telling me he thinks a part of him right. is just programmed to think about suicide and it's there at the core. Right. 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 I get that. Yeah. So one of the things I do a lot of, I'm big behavioralist. So that means that I'm very hands-on. I work to change certain behaviors if someone wants to work on changing them up to them. As soon as he mentioned the whole budgeting thing and the money and all that, I was on it. I was like, oh my God, are we going to work on budgeting? Yes. Something I love to do with my clients. You were just like, cool. And I, you know, I love working on executive functioning, life skills, adulting, if you will. And, and I noticed again, that even though that wasn't something he said himself, I'm, this is something I'm working on it seemed like you were like, okay, cool. So we'll move on. Why didn't I jump in? I mean, I think I know why, but sure. Let's tell everyone else why. (laughs) Does everyone else want to hear him work on budgeting? 
Well, I mean, partly I was thinking this isn't going to make for a good podcast. I'm not going to talk about budget. Not at, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, I, actually, it, it was fitting in more with what I was saying even earlier on this breakdown of thinking about how he wants to focus on his individuation, becoming his own individual, right. being independent, but still feeling, feeling tied to parents. I would guess the budgeting comes more from his parents. I don't know yet, but I don't need to know that right now. I just know he's not good with it. And he's probably still in some ways tied to parents about that, mm -hmm. or he just doesn't have a very strong sense of his own. And that's something we're going to work on. But for me, I, I would say I'm not a behavioralist because it misses where the behavior is coming from and what the pattern is. You know, that's why I like the CBT loop right. of, you know, the, the thought creates the feeling, creates the behavior, creates the, right. the thought, you know, and, and it keeps circling that way. And I go, all right, you can change a behavior. It doesn't necessarily get to the root of why we're, we're programmed that way or why we keep repeating those things. Right. Like the 12-step programs, which I think are phenomenal to help change a behavior in and of themselves, they don't necessarily address what's at the root of right, something. Right. It's fantastic for changing the behavior. I think it needs to work hand in hand with something that's going to help look at what's this pattern, what's the root, how do you do this? And somebody like a sponsor or somebody else going through the program can be great support for changing the behavior. They're right. not necessarily trained to look at and break a pattern. Right. right. So I think that's a big, for me, I think it, depending on the client, of course, but a lot of times I start with changing the behavior and then work backwards. Mm. It just depends. But for the most part, like you want to quit smoking. Okay. Let's work on quitting smoking and we'll figure out what the fuck happened when you were seven years old that made you start smoking. Like, right. I don't really care right now, yeah. but I will eventually. That's funny. I do the, I do the opposite. Right. Of, I don't really care about your smoking. Right. We're going to work on that. I even had somebody come to me for nicotine and porn addiction. I said, great, we're, we're going we're gonna to take care of that without talking about it. He was like, what? And, you know, we worked for several months and I checked in with him maybe three, six months in, somewhere around there. And he just kind of went, wow, yeah, I haven't really been using them as much. And then a year into therapy, I asked him about it again. It's not like those are the only two times we talked about it. Right. We talked about it a bunch, but you know, I checked in and reminded him that first time when he came in and said, here's what I'm coming to you with. And they weren't really issues anymore at all. And it was because we focused on what was at the root of it. And that's where the change happened. And then the behaviors just kind of fell away. We worked to shift some behaviors and do some other things for sure. It's not like you just find the root, change the root, and magically the behaviors go away. It still takes work. Uh, one other thing I did notice, and I think it's because I'm, I am very DBT oriented and I work so hard on compassion, non-judgmental stance that when you said at some point you called his integrity good, right? you have really good integrity. Right. And I was, that caught my ear. And then at some point he said also, which I hear all the time, he can't find any good people in LA. Right. And to that, I say bullshit. <laughs> well, maybe he can't find them. They, oh, and I'm not they saying, exist. Yes. I'm not saying right. he bullshit. He's lying. Right. I'm saying, you know, I hear that so much. And I, first of all, just want to ask like, what, what is a good person? I mean, what's a good person in LA, you know, and what's, or what's when you say good integrity, those right. are my questions. I, I often stop my clients and they get annoyed and I say, okay, well, what does that mean? You tell me what a good person in LA is. Oh, someone who's down to earth and this and that. 
okay. So, you know, he mentioned having to go out all the time, be at clubs and stuff. How much can you get to know if someone's down to earth in those situations? Right. You know? Right. And that's, that's, you know, some of what he was telling me and what I was picking up from him was he doesn't want to just go out and party. He doesn't want to smoke weed all the time. He smokes it to go to sleep, but doesn't want to do that. Right. You know, he's making choices that seem like they're good in terms of it's helping him be more authentic in how he wants to be and it's not causing him or anybody harm. What's another word you could use for good? Great. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's, I mean, I do place judgment on that, but I place it based on their values. I'm looking for what are his values. That makes sense. And is he, a, a lot of why I, I use good is not me making a judgment. It's reflecting his judgment in a sense and going for your values, what your values are, you're doing good because they probably, a lot of clients have been told that they're not good, that they're doing something wrong, right. that they're not doing enough. Right. You know? And I use the, I almost not only, but most often use the term effective. Well, is that effective for you? They're mm. like, I made a bad choice. Well, maybe it just wasn't effective. Yeah, I love that. Because it just takes the judgment out of it. Because for some people or in some moments, is was it effective for me to have 10 glasses of wine last night? Maybe not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had like five. Um, but sometimes it might be. Was that effective? It was very effective. Good. So, and again, this is all just my training my ears and then listening to yours and your explanation of it makes total sense. And just knowing that the listeners out there, you guys, it needs to click with you. And that's what's important is that you guys need to be able to pick up on, well, I don't, I feel badly when you say something's good or bad because it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong to be able to share that with your therapist and talk about it. Totally. And and I think that's, it's funny because you're hitting on when people hear this, if they hear, you know, good integrity, that's based on him. I'm mm-hmm. reflecting his own values that he's starting to give me. It's not the barometer by which everybody out there needs to measure their own integrity, right? Yeah, because I'd be screwed. <laughs> but but that, that idea of, you know, I, I like the idea of effective. I think that's, that's wonderful. And really looking at non-judgmental, I think we hold such judgment for ourselves so much. And it's so detrimental. We probably haven't heard enough that we're good or that we're good enough. Mm-hmm. And this was a version of that. And it was sort of planting the seed for that. Right. You know, and to your point, when, when people say, oh, that wasn't good, like I'll shrug, I'll just give a shrug, you know, and they'll say, I won't interrupt them. Right. I'll shrug and they'll go, well, I mean, it wasn't that it was good. It was, a, and they'll qualify it. Right. It's that thing like, oh, I ate so badly last night. What the fuck does that mean? Right. Like for right. some people that could mean they had like 18 carrots instead of 10. Well, I'm, I'm big on balance. When yeah, I, when I exactly. hear, when you're talking about food and somebody says, oh yeah, last night I totally had a cheat. And I said, a treat? And they went, no, a, a cheat. And I said, well, what is it? What's the difference? What does that have to be good or bad? It's just something you did. Right. Yeah. It, there's a lot that he kind of brought out and mm-hmm. a lot that we didn't hit yet, yeah. but I'm really excited for where this is going to go because he is insightful and he has so much to get out. And there's so much that I hear in terms of his patterning and his programming and, and what what we're going to need to look at down the line as it comes out. But more than anything, I think it was just a first session. We're just getting to know each other. Right? Absolutely. It was a great first session. So what happens next week? <laughs> next week, um, I think I throw a 
bunch of analogies and metaphors and, and stories at you, at him, but at you by virtue of throwing it at him. At all of us. At everyone. I just spew it right out. We, we talk about vulnerability and balance. We talk about issues in his relationship and starting to just solidify our relationship and, and build on the trust that we're establishing so that he can start telling me about mom, about brother in more detail. And that's coming up. So tune in. Tune in, subscribe. Hear what happens with hip hop next week. (laughs) (laughs) Rate our podcast, review our podcast, do whatever you do to podcasts, unless it's negative and then don't do it. Yeah. And we are actually completely aware that some people will love us. Some people hate us. Some people just won't give a shit. That's That's all good. It's all fine. (laughs) And on that note. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Peace out.